Hear the Easter message from the gospel according to John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 and following. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed me because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord bless you richly, the reading and hearing of this Easter message, eventually. Many years ago, I faced a dawning situation. I had to find a new doctor for my family. Many of us understand the fear that that can cause in us to find a, a new family practitioner with a growing family. Uh, I did what was required of me for insurance. I went and looked through their list of approved doctors and found one there in the Atlanta area, right down in the Buckhead area, right off of Peachtree Road. So I went down, drove down, and in the midst, nestled in the middle of all those gleaming spires and great towers of commerce and, and medical technological prowess, there was this small white 1940s clapboard house that was the medical office of Dr. Yeager. It didn't look too promising. In fact, uh, some trepidation came into my, to my heart as I came in and perhaps thinking it was a mistake. And so I went in and as I opened the door, my confidence was shaken even further as I looked around and it was as if I had stepped into a musty old museum of medical history. On the shelves were old pill boxes and bottles full of uh, ancient remedies and concoctions from the medical past. And all along the, the waiting room and as I went further into the, to the rooms themselves, the waiting rooms, into the uh, examination rooms, I saw apparatus and machine after machine of old, dated, medical technology. 
It was literally a museum, a musty old museum of, of medicine. So as I was sitting there in the examining room, just waiting for the doctor to come in, I, the fear of bringing my family into this medical museum uh, was so, so rife inside of me. And uh, it really caused fear and doubt that uh, this was the right place to bring my family for, for faith and uh, for faith in our doctor. But behind these doors, in came a, a doctor who I found uh, to be quite charming. And as I experienced him personally, I discovered that in his story, as I asked him, what's the story behind this medical museum? He said that his father before him had been a medical doctor. And he had started this collection of old medical remedies as a reminder to him that medicine must always evolve and change. In other, in other words, be renewed and resurrected with each generation. And so Dr. Yeager took up the call of medicine and took his father's calling and vocation further. And so this museum was really much more a testimony to the father's call upon Dr. Yeager. My confidence began to grow in him through this exchange and his explanation. And as I spent time and my confidence in him grew, fear moved to more faith and we expanded our relationship. And over many years, he gave great care, uh, expansive care to me and my children at every stage of growth. Eventually, through the experience of Dr. Yeager and his explanation, the exchange of our stories and to see his attempt to bring his father's vocation forward, the medical museum kind of gave me even more confidence that there was new life coming and healing and hope through our relationship. I think that's what's going on somehow in this text this morning. Behind the locked doors of fear, the disciples are at a crossroads and they must make changes in the light of the resurrection of Christ. Which way will they go forward? They are locked down in fear. And yet, into this room comes the presence of the risen Christ. And in this encounter, in this experience, the disciples begin to experience the breath of peace, the gift of peace, the gift of purpose, the gift of understanding their vocation as the Father has sent Christ into the world, giving life from death. So... Christ is sending the disciples from fear to faith, from death, the empty tomb, the cross, to proclaim to all the world a life of faith, hope, and healing. In this passage, we see that we move from fear to faith as disciples of every generation as we experience Christ personally, as we in, in the exchange of our lives, understand how we are called deeper into God's purpose, the purpose of the Father, to share peace, life, hope with the world. And then in that exchange, as we discover afresh the love that we have experienced in God, that love leads us to expand our care and our love for the world. That that peace that we've received, we are called to pass on. From fear to faith, Experiencing Christ, exchanging honestly an expression of our lives, one with, with Christ, and then we expand upon that peace and love that we've received in the world. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So this is the, the message of Easter.
Easter comes, perhaps for disciples like Thomas, perhaps like you and I, it might not come on the Sunday appointed to Easter. Sometimes Easter has to come eventually. Faith grows when we experience Christ precisely in the places of our fear. This is what Thomas really is the poster child for. He's got a bad rap doubting Thomas, right? I mean, as I heard uh, Tab preach in the early service, he's really more like absent Thomas rather than doubting Thomas. I call him late Thomas, a little bit late to the Easter event. He's having to play catch up. The commentator Dorothy Sayer says this, you can say a lot of things about Thomas and his doubts were real. They were honestly expressed throughout the Gospel of John. But when it came time to face the Easter event, he experienced a faith that was clear. It was convicted and it was unequivocal. He doesn't say, well, I guess now that you're standing in front of me, I mean, once he gets past the demands and the demand for evidence that he has, once Christ was standing in front of him, once Christ had met Thomas in his fear and his doubt and the pain of the disappointments of his past, he says, you are my Lord and my God, the most unequivocal statement of faith throughout the New Testament. No other statement of faith so clearly identifies Jesus as God. Doubting Thomas. This is faithful Thomas, faith forward Thomas, from fear towards faith. The arc of the journey that so many of us have to face in the Easter event. The experience and the encounter helped move Thomas from the fears of the past. That's what keeps us locked down, right? What keeps you locked down in fear? Decisions of the past, regrets that entangle us still? Thomas had them. Disciples of every era had them. And yet Jesus comes right into the fear and addresses Thomas's past, addresses his needs, and calls him to a place of peace. Peace be unto you. Breathe the spirit of peace. Do you need a spirit of peace to be breathed upon parts of your life that are unresolved? We all need to hear a word of peace. The word that the New Testament uses, the gospel writer uses, in emphasin. It's the Greek word that is at the root of our word for emphysema that we used to speak of uh, as a diagnosis, difficulty in breathing. Breathing in, Christ breathed the spirit of peace and forgiveness to Thomas. And it caused faith to grow alive. It caused life where there had been death and doubt. And peace was received. The spirit whispers. You know, some scholars have called this the, the, um, the Pentecost of John. The Johannine Pentecost. We're used to thinking about Pentecost coming, the Spirit pouring itself out on the church in all the technicolor fireworks of, of Acts 2 where there's tongues of fire and sound and fury, if you will. This is the whisper 
of Pentecost. As silent as a breath, the Spirit breathing peace upon Thomas and the disciples. And it caused fear and the doubts of the past to be strengthened in a faith that launched Thomas and the disciples forward. Historians can't verify it, but most traditional accounts have Thomas going forward, having received peace over the doubt of his life, experiencing the risen Christ. Easter eventually led for Thomas a mission to India, the southwest coast of India. There are Christians in India today that trace their lineage back. They're called the Mar Thoma Church to the Apostle Thomas. It's a traditional account. But Thomas took the fear and launched past it beyond the locked doors of fear into a faith that took him all the way to India to proclaim forgiveness and new life to a great philosophical tradition, one of the greatest philosophical cultures of the world. His clarity of faith planted a church in one of the biggest doubting philosophical cultures in human history. What is Easter leading to in your life? Easter eventually led to faith through doubt for Thomas, for India. What is Easter leading you past? What fears have you locked down that you're hiding behind, that Easter is calling you forward with faith, the faith to move forward? The Jesuit poet Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote a poem about five Franciscan nuns who were drowned on a ship in 1875 in the Thames River. And the conclusion of his poem said, let him Easter in us. Let Christ Easter in us. We're not used to talking about Easter as a verb that happens to us. I think the poet had it right. In the face of doubt and despair and death, the Easter event comes eventually to those leading us past our fears to where we can say Easter is rising in us. Easter is leading us past fear to faith. How does Christ Easter in College Place, United Methodist Church, is Christ leading you from fear to faith? Experience Christ afresh. Fear moves towards faith also Easter comes eventually for us if we will honestly express our emotions in an exchange with our God. That's what happened for Thomas. Honest expression. He showed his demands. He showed his, his needs. And Jesus, in the exchange that we have depicted for us in John, exhorts Thomas onward past the entanglements, the fear of the regrets of the past, onward into faith. Honest expression of emotional life is healing. It heals our past. Easter eventually dawns on us when we are most honest with ourselves and honest with God and are willing to contend with God a little bit. You remember the story of Job. Job contended with God in the face of disappointment, despair, and even death, arguing with God 
honest expression. The Jewish tradition builds that into religious life. The argument with God. The rabbis who will contend with God for the congregation, the synagogue. I don't think we honestly express our true raw emotions enough with God or in worship as well. The Easter event really calls us what is true for us? What are our true feelings? How do we respond to a risen Lord? How do we experience and, and express this, this joyful force, this new life? The question my colleague Luke Timothy Johnson, the, new, the great New Testament scholar at the Candler School of Theology, said in his classic book, Living Jesus, the great question, after you get through with all the New Testament criticism and exegesis, the question of John and the question that remains throughout the New Testament is what do you do with Easter? What do you do with Easter, college place? Does Easter live in us? Is, are we being led by Easter? If Christ is dead, then the Easter event is as dead as those remedies on the shelf in Dr. Yeager's office. <laughs> but if Christ is alive and if he is Eastering in us, then we have the expression of God's love and life already at work in us, giving us forgiveness, peace, according to the text. Forgiveness and peace and causing our fears to grow in the direction of faith, bringing emotional and spiritual wholeness and healing. If Jesus lives, then life-giving must be at the heart of the relationship of God's life with us. Life-giving, healing, making us whole from the inside out, from the deep parts of our subconscious that are hidden even from ourselves, that have been locked away. Our past that has been locked away so long we have denied it even to ourselves. That's the place where the Easter experience of Christ expresses the power of God's love most, right behind the locked doors of our fears. The doctor, Bernie Siegel, you've heard me talk about him. He's an oncologist that for many years believed that there were limits to what oncology and Western medicine can do that only faith could do for those battling cancer. And he saw faith healing in a complementary way with the best of medicine. He talked about the kind of faith required to see healing and new life. Years and years of oncology practice, he saw a kind of faith that accompanied these, these healings that went well beyond when science no longer had any hope of treatment, when science was as dead as those old remedies on Dr. Yeager's shelf there was still yet a remedy that Bernie Siegel saw. It was the power of faith that moved people from fear. Often he saw people with cancer and, and um, life-threatening illnesses had some past troubles, emotional, spiritual wounds that weren't healed as well. And when people began to move towards accepting the disease as a teachable moment to clarify their faith and to put aside the fears of the past and offer themselves forgiveness and forgiveness of others in their life 
a kind of spiritual acceptance that led with forgiveness and peace and offered that to those in their lives, he often saw miracle healings. He said he never saw a case of miraculous healing that didn't have the patient discovering a way to get past old fears to a new faith that was centered and rooted in faith, self-acceptance, forgiveness of oneself and others, and a radical peace and love that redefined their life. And then the physical healings manifested itself. The faith of body and mind that Jesus is talking about brought healing to the disciples that day in body, mind, and spirit and healed from the subconscious outward. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to give us healing deep within where no psychologist, where no pastor can even dare go with you. That's where the Spirit comes and breathes peace unto you in the fears that brings healing. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, have medical healing powers, according to Dr. Siegel and many others. The fruits of the Spirit grow faith in us that bring healing and new life that brings Easter in us. All these spiritual words we've been talking about for so many years, they're as new as the most cutting edge treatment that humans need to keep the faith. The experience, honest expression, be honest with yourself. Easter comes eventually. I had the good fortune after exiting with the help of the U.S. military from Liberia on Easter 1996 that I narrated last week. I was evacuated out, as our family was, by the special forces from the U.S. Embassy, returning after great duress and destruction and um, emotional distress to America. And we had a year of therapy and time of reflection with the mission board in Atlanta, and then after that year, we were reassigned to Vienna, Austria for uh, assignment to teach with the United Methodist Church in, in Austria. During that year, I'd found no comfort from any psychology or any treatment whatsoever. I found comfort from the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, a great book, but I also found comfort from the writings of a book by Dr. Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. If you haven't read it, I encourage all of you to read it. It comes out of his experience in the concentration camp. He was an Austrian Jew, a medical doctor in Vienna, and um, he wrote about, we all, no matter how much we face death and fear, have the choice and the power to choose faith in the face of that and create meaning and new life, a kind of resurrection from the meaning we choose through faith. It's called logotherapy. It's influenced a large number of grief therapists in post-war Europe and in America. So I'm sent out with the Psalms, and I've got Viktor Frankl's book in my, in my bookshelf there as we arrive in Vienna. And I'm talking about my experience in Africa with the church there and talking about what brought us to Vienna, Austria by way of Liberia and its civil war, kind of a strange 
journey in and of itself. But in that year, I recognized that I was still locked away in fear behind closed doors. My own heart had not experienced the full Easter story of relief and of healing. And so, as we found ourselves in Vienna, Austria, I got a call one day in the church office there in Vienna, Austria. You'll never believe who it was on the phone. It was Dr. Viktor Frankl. <laughs> Viktor Frankl. His wife, his second wife, who was his, his secretary, said, Dr. Viktor Frankl has heard your testimony in the churches of Vienna that you found comfort in the Psalms and man's search for meaning. He wishes to talk to you about how you've gone forward with your faith. And so I spent 30 minutes on the phone with my psychiatrist, God's psychiatrist. Boy, when God knew I needed a psychiatrist, he got me the only one I could hear, <laughs> Victor Frankl. He said, you chose in the face of despair and death to move past your fear. You took your faith forward and continued your calling as a minister, thus living out your Easter faith. This came from a Jewish doctor who had survived the Holocaust. Your faith is the faith of new life that you choose. We always have the power to choose to move beyond fear to the faith that new life brings us. If we choose to go faith forward like Thomas, like the disciples, like Viktor Frankl, like other disciples who've experienced the Easter event and says, how is Christ leading me forward through this, this experience? How is Easter's new life being birthed from my new death? How is Christ's spirit breathing new life into me? How is Easter leading you past the locked doors of your fear? Easter comes eventually for us disciples who experience and express honestly our fears and doubts and trust that as the Father sent Christ, so we are sent. The last aspect of a faith moving from fear to faith is that we join in the message of hope for the world. That we express that faith and expand the faith through our service to the world. We live in a world with lots of death, lots of ideas, lots of ideologies that spread death and destruction, lots of violence. But at the heart of this gospel is the gospel that the spirit of love breathes upon us peace, hope, forgiveness, and care for the world. That's at the heart of the gospel. The old word for belief was linked to the old English word beloved. That which you beloved you believe. We believe in that which we love. And if God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and if the Father sent Christ in love, we are so likewise called to put our belief in a faith forward action into the world, to so love the world. As the Father sends us college place, as the Father sent Christ, so Christ sends us. Not only is this the whispering Pentecost, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I sent you, is the whispered, Holy Spirit-breathed Great Commission for all disciples. The Pentecost, the Great Commission, whispered 
Peace be unto you, college place. Share the peace that passes all understanding. There was a, a little child who was in church and there was a, a service that concluded, this was one of my colleagues at the School of Theology told this story, Tom Long, who was one of the great preaching professors of our time. He said at the, the end of the service, the service didn't go well and the sermon was not as strong as he wished it to be. So in the end, he said, the peace of Christ be with you. And he heard a little boy in the back say, I want more than a peace. I want the whole thing. <laughs> the peace of Christ be unto you. We need more than a peace. We need the whole thing. Together, we as the disciples of Christ, who have been loved, beloved by God, are called together to share that message of peace with the world. That will take the world past its fear towards a faith. This is Easter eventually. Easter eventually comes to us in love, actually. Love actually lived out in our sharing, in our caring, in our honest expression. Easter eventually comes as we share and care for one another. May peace be unto you, College Place, the whole peace of God. May the wholeness of God, the peace, the spirit of forgiveness and faith move you past your locked doors of fear. May you be the Easter that the world desires to see. May Easter lead you eventually in the peace and the love and the forgiveness that we are called to share with the world. The peace of Christ be with you. The whole thing, inside and out. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we live as Easter people. Amen.